Welcome to the Rock Hill Dream Center Church, where we have a vision to see communities transformed by the gospel as we love, serve, share, and send. Thank you for joining us. Hey, good morning, church. Woo, y'all excited about being in the house of the Lord today. Amen, amen, and amen. Oh, I look up and see all these faces. Yes, this is beautiful. Good-looking faces, too. I'm telling you what right now. Um, Christmas season is upon us. Amen? Anybody gotten busy yet? Yeah, I'm setting you up. You better be careful if you answer that. But um, I'm telling you right now, it's, um, it's the time of the year that you eat a lot. And I know me and Christian and Barbara got to making those peanut butter Ritz crackers that you dip in the white chocolate. You know, I got a gift given to me last year. It was still in the box, still had the gift receipt with it. I pulled that thing out, of the, and I started melting the, the white chocolate and dipping those crackers into it. I noticed, and I had them bagged up to bring here because I knew that I've taken in about 20,000 calories over the last few, few days, and, and lo and behold, I forgot them. Oh, oh. But, you know, I, I thought that we would just kind of go into a time where we could do some self-reflection. And self-reflection being that, that if we're not careful sometimes when we get into the season and we get into the Christmas season, that we will forget the reason, you know, as the cliche saying, the reason for the season. But I think that as a church, we should remind ourselves of this Jesus. Why did he come? How did he live? How did he die? And, and there's no better way to talk about that than the book of Isaiah in Isaiah 53. So Isaiah 53 is a beautiful um, prophecy of how things are going to happen, what's going to happen. But I'm going to do just a touch of teaching. And I, I tell you, I, I took and I copied and pasted some, some, some teaching. of I wanted the church to have a deeper understanding of the book of Isaiah, who he was, what was going on. So if you can just, it's about three. I read through it in time myself. It's about three minutes of just kind of reading. If I read quick, it's two and a half. But if I read three, you'll understand it. So um, we'll probably be three. But can we pray together and just ask the Spirit of God just to take over us right now? I know he needs, I'm just asking him to take over me. Maybe you're there, but I'd like for him just to grab hold of me. Heavenly Father, God, Lord, we come to you in the mighty name of Jesus. <sighs> Father, so humbling to be able to stand here and to read your word and to, to discover you more. And I just confess that this morning it's just been on me today. I've just had a hard time getting in your spirit and just receiving the spirit to just come over me. And Lord God, right now I pray, Lord, that you would just pour over me, that it would be your words coming out today. It would be your teaching. It wouldn't be mine. It would be your thoughts, your agendas, your, your power. And Lord God, I just ask you would, that you would remove me out of the way. And I pray the same prayer over my brothers and sisters that are here today, Lord God, that you would move them out of the way of you, Lord, that they may be able to come to a place to hear, to see, to respond to this beautiful, beautiful, life-giving blood of Jesus Christ and the spirit that is moving. So, God, we just ask that you would teach us today, that you would just move amongst us today. And, Lord God, we pray for the hearts. We pray for the hearts of the people who don't know you. We pray for the parts of the people who know your name but have never had an intimate relationship with you. And God, we ask that you do something spectacular today so that we would know that your hand moved here today, Lord. We love you, Father, in Christ's name. Amen. 
to Isaiah. So what happens is in Isaiah um, 53, 2 through 12, I'm going to read it in a moment, but I want to set it up a little bit, just kind of give you some background. So the vision of Isaiah um, is the son of Amos. Now, the reason I say that the son of Amos is because there were many Isaiahs. There's about six or seven other Isaiahs, and if you're not careful, you can get them confused. Um, but it, so it's the vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he was concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. So the vision of Isaiah, the book contains the prophecies of Isaiah, the son of Amos, who ministered from about 740 B.C. to 680 B.C. For about 20 years, he spoke to both the northern kingdoms of Israel and the southern kingdoms of Judah. After Israel's fall to the Assyrians in 722 B.C., Isaiah continued to prophesy to Judah. So just to kind of give you some heads up that we know that there was a civil war, that, that, that Israel split. There's two tribes that stayed down south and ten tribes went up north and and. Isaiah was prophesying and speaking and teaching to both of them. So the period of Israel's history is told in 2 Kings 15 through 21 and 2 Chronicles 26 through 33, if you'd like to look it up and just kind of study it and read through it. So by this time, Israel had been in the promised land for almost 700 years. Wow. Just think about that and put it in context. How many years has this nation been the United States of America? You know, you don't have to answer that because I'd get it wrong if I tried to answer that off the cuff. But it's not been 700 years. So by this time, Israel had been in the promised land for almost 700 years. For their first 400 years in Canaan, judges ruled Israel. These were spiritual, military, and political leaders whom God raised up as the occasion demanded. Then for about 120 years, three kings reigned over all Israel, Saul, David, and Solomon. But in 917... Um, B.C., Israel had a civil war and remained divided into two nations, Israel to the north and Judah to the south. Up until the time of Isaiah, the kingdom of Israel, the northern ten tribes, had some 18 kings, and all of them were bad and rebellious against the Lord. The kingdom of Judah, the two southern tribes, had some 11 kings, some of them being bad, some of them being good. Okay? Still tracking with me? So in the time of Isaiah, Israel was a little nation often caught in the middle of wars between three superpowers, Egypt, Assyria, and Babylon. Sound, sound kind of familiar? <laughs> so as, my, as Isaiah's ministry began, there was a national crisis in the northern kingdom of Israel. The superpower of it, uh, Assyria was about to overwhelm the kingdom of Israel. During the span of Isaiah's ministry as a prophet, the southern kingdom of Judah, Judah was faced with repeated threats from the larger surrounding nations. The book of Isaiah is filled with many wonderful prophecies of the, Messiah, of the Messiah, telling us about the person and work of Jesus Christ some 700 years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem. For this reason, sometimes Isaiah is called the fifth gospel. So the chapter foretells the suffering of the Messiah, the end of which he was to die, and the advantages resulting to mankind mankind from the illustrious event so we're going to start reading right there but but that kind of gives you a little bit of a, a setting of what is going on who this Isaiah is and and just knowing that the things that we're going to re be reading today was put in place 700 years before the coming of Jesus how crazy is that so we're going to read right now with um, verse um, chapter 53 verse 2 and it says, my servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, 
like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance. Nothing to attract us to him. Who's he talking about? Who's he prophesying about? It's Jesus, right? Jesus. Yes, Jesus was a child. And yes, in the presence of the Lord, he was like a tender young plant. And it talks about in this piece of scripture, too, that in God's presence, it doesn't matter your surroundings. You are still sure to grow. Jesus was born in all the wrong places with all the cards and all the things stacked against him. But because of the Lord in heaven, because of the Father in heaven, because of God, that it was all going to take place. See, but that's the same for you too, okay? You might think all the cards are stacked against you. Everything has always come against you. You're not in the right place. You don't have the right people around you. But right now, if you'll understand that that God has, has come for you through Jesus Christ, and sealed you with the Holy Spirit. That you might be in dry, messed up ground today. You might wonder how you'll ever um, break through that dry ground. But I'm telling you right now, stay in the presence of the Lord. Stay in the presence of the Lord. Because God has shown us through his word that he brought up Jesus as a young baby. And grew him up in dire circumstances so that he could be our Lord and Savior as he was as a child. See, Jesus didn't use vanity to draw people to himself. It says, it talks about that he wasn't that great to look upon. But what did Jesus use? He used truth. And he used love, Willie. He used truth and love. Those two have to go hand in hand with each other. You can't say, well, I love you, but I'm not going to tell you the truth because that wouldn't be pure love. And you, and you can't say, I'm going to give you the truth, but I'm not going to love you because that wouldn't be God's truth. They have to tie into one another, truth and love, love and truth, that one can't go without the other if it is to come from God. And, and Jesus didn't have to say, I'm going to have the, the best worship team that sing to me, and it's going to hit every note right on the keyboard, man. And, and everybody's going to have hair, man. And then everybody's going to be six foot two and slim and built good looking, man. And they're going to have a beautiful smile and talk right and everything. He said, no. He said, if you love people and love me, I will show you my hand working in truth and love. <laughs> Listen to what Spurgeon says pertaining to dry ground. It says, do not say it is useless to preach down there or to send missionaries to that uncivilized country. How do you know? It is very dry ground. Ah, oh, well, that is hopeful soil. Christ is a root out of dry ground And the more there is to discourage, the more you should be encouraged. Read it the other way. Is it dark? Then all is fair for a grand show of light. The light will never seem so bright as when the night is very, very dark. Hallelujah. But but God, Jesus Christ, shines the brightest in the darkest places. And at the same time, you might be feeling that your life is dark and that there is no hope for you. But praise God that Jesus Christ wants to live in and through you so that he can be a demonstration of a spectacular light show in you. 
And that people would say, man, that cat was never going to get it right. No, he wasn't, but God did when he sent Jesus for him. He never could do it, but Jesus can. Verse 3. <laughs> it said, he was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Like a rose trampled on the ground. I'm like, man, I didn't even send him what I'm preaching and the Spirit of God is showing us grace. Wow. See, it is very important to recognize that Jesus did not walk around feeling sorrow for himself. Because that's what it says. He was despised and rejected a man of sorrows. See, the sorrow that Jesus walked around carrying was for you and I. It was for our brokenness and our hopelessness. It was for our sin nature and our rebellion. And, and Jesus walked this earth and he would cry tears, not because of what he had to do, not because of what he was called to do, not even who he was in some of the times when he was searching and looking. He was, had sorrows for you and me. And it was many sorrows. The sorrows Jesus carried around were for a broken and lost people. Secondly, out of that scripture, it says we are prompted to look the other way when we know it is a vital work, but we don't want to help. Unfortunately, or fortunately, scripture teaches that the most of the people looking at Jesus wanted something from him. We should be careful not to take this stance. I've been there so many times. How many times have people just like, man, I want to read my word because I really don't understand this. Oh, man, I want to come to church because I really can't overcome this. Man, I, I just want, I just want, I just need, I just need. Have you, have you ever been catching yourself using the letter I in your prayers an awful lot? Or using the letter I when you don't understand something? There's nothing wrong with that, okay? Let me understand. I don't want to make you leave here today saying, man, I just can't pray for myself anymore. No, there's, but where the danger is, is that we make our prayer and we make our scripture reading all about us and not about the Father. And Jesus came to build a bridge to the Father that when we pray to him and when we read his word and when we meditate on him, it is so that we can have intimacy and relationship with the Father. And when you have intimacy and relationship with the Father, your life will change. You can't change your life so that you can have intimacy with the Father. That God says, I will have intimacy with you and it will change you from the inside out. So if you have all these works that you're trying to do and you're trying to work out and you're trying to be better, just know that you can't be only Jesus can do that. Verse 4. And yes, it was our weakness. He carried it. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God. A punishment for his own sins. See, he loves us. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, God. What a word. Our Father in heaven. Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, the Trinity. God loves us when we're too blind to even understand what's going on. When we're in our just depraved minds. Hallelujah that we have a Father that can look past all of the insanity. 
He loves us even when we are too blind to see the truth. Well, I want to ask a question today. Today, do you feel weak and full of sorrow? Do you feel weak and full of sorrow? Jesus came and remained sinless so he could absorb your sin. Think about that word absorb. I wrote that word four different times. It, it was four different things. And when, when God gave me absorb, I said, that's it, God. That's the word you wanted to say there. Because we have these sin natures on us. And, and our minds get so depraved and we just can't focus and we just can't, can't do anything right because we feel like we're just failing and this shame has overcome us. And then Jesus comes along and he taps us on the shoulder and it is like, Every bit of shame, all of this sin, everything that we've always struggled with is just sucked into the Savior. I got you. I got you. Got you. And soon as Jesus does that, there's an enemy of the darkness that is telling you, you're not worthy to be saved. You're too screwed up. You've messed up. You've hurt too many people. And the grace of God comes back just like it just sucks it up again. And where sin runs deep, grace runs deeper. Hallelujah. Absorb. Everybody say absorb. That's a pretty word, isn't it? Absorb. If you're from the south, I don't even know if you say it correctly. We'll have to get some of our northern friends to make sure that we're saying absorb correctly. Or Maddie. I don't know. <laughs> Oh, in verse 5 it says, but he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole, and he was whipped so we could be healed. See, Jesus was giving his children, oh, this is a good one. Jesus was giving his children the perfect gift before they even understood and knew what the perfect gift was. You ever gotten a gift and you're not sure exactly what it is, how to use it? But if you'd have just take, took the times to read the directions, hold up your Bible, <laughs> you'd found out that that is a gift that covers all gifts. It'll take you from broken to better in a heartbeat. But Jesus was giving this gift to a people that they didn't even know what it was. So how valuable a gift you have been given that Jesus had to pay such a grand price. Right? If, if, if it doesn't cost anything and you give it, that's just re-gifting, right? Anybody ever done that? I know y'all guilty of it like me. Knock the dust off that bad boy and slide it right over. But the reason we can know that the gift that Jesus Christ gave us through the blood on the cross is because of the price that he had to pay. And that's the topic of even the, the message today is that we don't get so caught up in Christmas and the lights and the food and the cookies and the white chocolate and the, and the meetings and the traveling and the singing and doing all this that we take our eyes off of what this gift had to be purchased at. It was a very high price. It was a very high price. How valuable a gift you've been given. That Jesus had to pay such a grand price. To be pierced. That's what it says. To be crushed. To be beaten. And to be whipped. 
He did it for us. Because of this gift, if you receive it, you will be whole. I want to repeat that. Because of this precious gift, if you receive it, you will be whole. See, because we can offer a gift, God can offer a gift, but it is up to the individual if they want to receive that gift or not. We can take that gift and put it over behind, beside the chest of drawers to collect dust. But it's the, the gift of Jesus has to be received. And we have to let down all of these other things of the world in order to embrace it and to understand its power. But it's been freely given to you. <clears throat> Today, you can be restored. I don't care how many times you screwed it up. Today, it's as easy as saying, Father, I want that gift. Thank you for the gift, the life-saving gift of Jesus Christ. Verse, <coughs> excuse me. In verse 6, it says, all of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. See, the God the Father has a love so deep for his people that he placed every sin on the shoulders of his son. It talks about that, right? Was that John 3.16? So God so loved the world. So whoever shall believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That is our Father. But we hear about what we can gain from it. But I sometimes miss what had to happen in order to get this gift. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So whoever shall believe in him shall not perish. So all of the sins of me and you and all of the rebellion that we have and all of the wandering that we were roaming and all over the place, God the Father said, I have got to place all of that on the shoulders of my son Jesus. And all of this sin and this hurt and this pain made a man named Jesus incarnate, fully God, fully man, walking around, carrying the burdens of the people who were rebelling, who didn't care, didn't even care enough to acknowledge him, who laughed at him, who mocked him, who pierced him, who crushed him, who whipped him. And he still did it anyway. Merry Christmas. So if you are straying away and on the wrong path, make a decision today to come back home. God loves you. You've not sinned your way out of his love. He loves you so much. Verse 7, it says, He was oppressed and treated harshly, and yet never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. Check this out. Here's what God put on this paper. When love is so deep that righteousness surrenders to unrighteousness. Now, what did I mean by putting that on that paper? That Jesus Christ, God, 
righteousness. Had everything right. Never opened his mouth when he was being led to the slaughter for me and you. Righteousness, surrendering to unrighteousness. Putting his good being to side to say, lay all of you on me. I can handle it. I never thought of it like that way. Because I want to get myself right, and then I want to judge the one that's not right. Amen? Hey, I'm good. You need to make different decisions, and you'll be good. But Jesus said, I've never sinned. But I'm going to have the sin of the world laid on me so that my blood and death and resurrection can have atonement for it. So that you will have an opportunity to be in heaven with the Father for eternity, forever and ever and ever. So you've had a a couple bad weeks or a couple bad years or maybe a dozen years or maybe 20 or 30 years. Let's go ahead and just put that out there, that there's a billion years of, of freedom, a trillion years. There's eternity that all you got to do is receive it. He's unjustly condemned. Verse 8, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants. Oh, it's fixing the transition. Oh, boy, this is going to get exciting. That his life was cut short in midstream, but he was struck down for the rebellion of my people, a rebellious people. Anybody in here ever been rebellious? (laughs) Unjustly condemned without anyone caring. Sin leads humanity to a place of blind selfishness. Sin will lead you into a place of blind selfishness. Jesus Christ has the love that supersedes our brokenness. It was all because we wanted it our way. I just want to go have fun one more time. I just want my way. I don't want to follow the mandates of the scriptures. I think I know better than you, God. Well, I even know that it's bad, but I know that you have grace that can give me the ability to to be okay in this. No. If we have to ask ourselves if it's okay, that means it's probably not okay. But you can't have truth without love, and you can't have love without truth, that the both of them have to go together. That you don't have a sin problem, you have a heart problem. I don't have a sin problem, I have a heart problem. But thanks be to God that he's placed men around me that pray for me, that love me, that call me out in my heart issues. Because it's scary to call people out in their heart issues. You walk around friendless. (laughs) people in church with sin kind of jumping in like the the transfer portal in college football. Well, he just called me out on that sin. I'm going over to, they're going to treat me better. I'm going to be on the front row there. (laughs) I got to come on out of that one. I didn't even know that was in the note. That's a transfer. (laughs) We got Christians just using the transfer portal. (laughs) Hallelujah. Love the Holy Spirit. 
All because people wanted it their way. See, in verse 9 it says he had done no wrong, had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. Even after his death, he was not shown proper respect. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. I want you to hear that again. The Father in heaven, it was his good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Wow. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, this is, this is the good news. He will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life, and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hand. See, because we get focused on God crushing Jesus, and he did, and he wore his sin. But it was, it was the resurrection. It was the, Jesus coming back to life. It was death cannot hold me down. And it's because I lived, you can too. And but where I was alone, now I have many descendants. Brothers and sisters, that is good news. God's plan coming into effect. There was Jesus at his death without a single descendant rejected by the people he loved. But by the power of the Spirit of God, Jesus was raised from the dead. And with this, a way that rebellious people may have a way to become righteous. Not because of anything that we've done, but because of who he is and what he's done. Not by our works, right? Our works can't make us righteous. They're all going to fall short. Well, I've read the Bible through this year. Good for you. It's a good thing to read the scriptures. But when the scriptures become your life, when every day you're to die to yourself to live for him, when our eyes become the eyes of Jesus, when our hands become the hands of Jesus, when our tongue drips out honey and that we can overlook unrighteousness because of the righteousness that lives inside of us. I'm not there. Most days. But praise be to God that he's given me the sane mind to know what I need to learn and grow in. And when he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all their sins. From a suffering servant to a righteous servant brought forth by the power of our Father in heaven. Isaiah was prophetically telling of how God was planning to save his people 700 years before it ever happened. See, we've been given a priceless gift. Jesus came down out of glory to a broken world to make a way for us to have hope. Hope is a good thing, isn't it? To live without hope is very sad. In verse 12, as we close up, it says, I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death. He was accounted among the rebels. He bore the sins of many and interceded for rebels. See, Jesus is now seated at the right hand of the Father, still to this day interceding for us. The price that was paid for our freedom should let us live a life that represents who we are, children of God. Can people look at you and your life 
and know that there's a child of God. I'm not asking you to answer that out loud. That's a self-examination question. But does your decisions and agendas and lifestyles represent that of who God is? See, in the same way, we have to be willing to die to ourselves so that we can be born again. That's written in our kitchen. Even after you're born again, it says that whoever wants to be my follower has to pick up its cross and follow me. That you, whoever shall die, shall live. It's a daily surrender. It's a daily dying to our rebellious flesh nature. You can't just do it one time. And I think that's the problem that churches have taught, including myself, is that we said, just die and give your life over to Jesus and everything will be okay. You have got to surrender every minute of every day and it will get easier the more you do it. How often do I got to repent? As long as it takes. How many times do I need to get up? One more time till you fall. But it's a daily decision to live for God and not for the world. So as we enter into the Christmas holiday season with all the parties, gifts, shopping, and eating, may we slow down and reflect on the price that was paid in order for you and I to experience this marvelous gift of peace, freedom, and salvation. And as you slow down and you start experiencing that, i got one more little ask. Will you pray about this? Secondly, will you offer the gift that has been given to you to someone who is hurting and feeling hopeless? we got empty chairs in here. Two weeks is going to be Sunday. Two more Sundays. Who in your life is feeling hopeless? And you maybe look at them and say, they're just too screwed up. Well, where they may look the darkest is where God will get the grandest glory. Or they've got it all together. None are righteous apart from God. Only the blood of Jesus Christ makes us righteous. Will you be the hope dealers that God has called us to be here at this church over the next couple weeks? Don't God love us so much? Isn't he so good? Isn't he good? Hallelujah, isn't he good? I'm telling you right now, Tyler Neal, isn't he good? Amen, isn't he good? We've been given a gift. We've been given a gift. That is meant to be given away. Share it. The cool thing about it is the more you share it, the more it expounds in your own life. Hallelujah. Let us pray and then we'll worship the Lord.